it's an interesting time. It's something, um, so the way my research works is I'm interviewing um, participants at the moment, young queer people, um, predominantly young queer women or non-binary people who have like a relationship to womanhood. And, and they're bringing this up in conversation. Um, you know, I'm asking about queer history, but things that are coming up at the moment are um, a lot of what's going on in the US over transphobia, but also how it's coming here in the Australian context. Um, yeah, like you said, I was at the State Library a few weeks ago for the Trans Day of Visibility rally, um, and a few weeks before that, I mean, content warning, I guess, in terms of like there was um, a transphobic incident with some Nazi protesters here, and that's like really scary to see. So it's quite obvious that we're living through like a um, a historical moment in and of itself, right? Where we're seeing debates about queer and especially trans lives happening in real time. Um, yeah, even phrasing it as a debate is a little uh, strange, maybe using the other side's word. Like, um, it's a bit distressing, I think, to, to think about uh, where we are in society at the moment. Well, why do you think that there is a current surge in... Cause I don't know how it is for you as an academic researcher, an actual smart, important person, but me, just a regular person kind of on the sidelines that is just seeing a lot of the backlash and things that are happening at the moment. Why do you think there's been a sudden surge in that? Because the way that I've been consuming the media, I feel like, like obviously queer people have existed for so long. Trans people have existed forever. And suddenly now I feel like there's just been this huge spike in just backlash and hateful speech and things like that regarding the trans community. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's a really good question. And I wish I had like a, a really coherent answer. I think a lot of it maybe depends on national context in terms of, so I'm from the UK and there's like a really big spike there and that's been building over the last few years. And, you know, you have the woman who wrote the Harry Potter books. Uh, <laughs> she will not, not name her. Named. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and her kind of links to particularly the UK media and then in the US, there's like, I guess they're like, the way their government runs like federally and within certain states and the power that they have in the politics to sort of shift around certain laws and bring in these bills, um, that's like affecting different parts of the country of a very big country um and obviously like post-trump you know everything that was stirred up there um and then here here's like an interesting one i mean as a non-australian i don't know the political context as well i've i've heard some people say like oh yeah it isn't maybe like as bad here because it's a uh, to not Australian to like care that much about stuff <laughs> like it's like um, but it's still like we're still seeing the the effects of that like from different national contexts like come in like with Posey Parker mm -hmm. um, and yeah it's a strange I think one thing is that one beautiful thing is that people are reflecting on their gender more they're like engaging with like what does this gender thing mean and so we're seeing more discussions about the beautiful like diversity and possibilities within gender and sexuality and like the beauty that trans joy and gender euphoria can be mm. and it's just um yeah a little upsetting that the flip side of that is people kind of seeing this happen and maybe being like scared by it or or not sure how to deal with that rhetoric 
Yeah. yeah. It's strange. I feel like it's a big backlash that's kind of come out of nowhere. But you talking just then has just kind of made me think about how um, I know that a lot of your research is based with, you know, online communities and things like that. And I feel like we've just had a couple of years of purely 100% being online, right? With, Mm -hmm. like, COVID and restrictions and everything like that. And... I don't know. I feel like with a lot of my friends, it's been quite a good time because you're isolated, you're alone, you're questioning yourself more and your gender and your values and your beliefs and things like that. Um, And the only way to communicate that is online on a very public platform that isn't just in your general community. And then also, I don't know, then you've got the backlash to that stuff as well. I don't know. Have you noticed um, just a spike in people online, I guess, examining their own gender and, I don't know, beliefs. (laughs) Yeah, massively. I mean, I feel like every conversation I have with people when we're talking through, you know, how did you sort of come to this relationship and sense of yourself? A lot of it is like, well, COVID was massive. You know, Mm. like you said, like a couple of years where you're only online and the way people describe it is like all the other structures in life, they're just gone now. And like you kind of see the maybe they don't make sense in certain ways or like the if the normal is deconstructed then what what is there and it's like a realm of possibility and as well when you have stuff like the tiktok algorithm mm-hmm. that is seeing you engage with certain content and then maybe feeding you more of it and the more you see the more you're able to like maybe see oh there's something of me in there Um, and that's happened, um, definitely for like a lot of my participants in terms of like gender, in terms of sexuality, in terms of neurodivergence as well. Um, a lot of people have said like the beauty of online is that you can see someone and they can explain something that you have gone through and provide you with language for it that you never had before, Mm -hmm. um, or describe a kind of experience or sensation. And you realize you're not alone in having that experience and sensation. And then you're like, Oh, cool. Well, (laughs) what does that mean? (laughs) I'm suddenly not alone. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real sense of, um, Yeah, finding a sense of community or a connection um, and seeing a bit of yourself that you've maybe, like, never engaged with before reflected back at you. Mm, I love that you say that because that's how I felt when I was, like, a kid on the internet because, like, I was raised in Australia, very rurally, very, like, isolated, and I found my community online pretty much. But I was talking off air before with Lachlan about how Tumblr was so, like, in particular, that platform was just so monumental of, I want to say like a think tank, but I don't really know what a think tank is, so I'm probably using that in the wrong context. But it was just a place where you were able to sit and discuss with people from all around the world all these really deep topics. I don't know why that was like the deep topic website because it was also like the weird, just weird post website. I don't know. Why do you think, because as well, I know that you've described yourself as like your path in life um, was from a Tumblr teen to a queer feminist study scholar pipeline. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that was like the platform? 
there's a there's a whole host of like amazing academic writing on this um, that I've read, and I still don't know how to like condense the answer. But for sure, like everyone's Tumblr experiences are like saturated with queer, mm-hmm. and even when you're not necessarily in spaces that are like like exclusively just queer like it's like fandom spaces or music or the only side that I've really heard of Tumblr that isn't super queer is like the like very specific aesthetic photo side right but even then I think it seeps in (laughs) um and yeah you're right there's like a specific kind of like history of Tumblr being very open about like topics about mental health um about I mean, there was quite a lot of, like, content in terms of, like, like fandom stuff and those spaces often offer a lot of, like, space for people to engage with characters and imagine different relationships or something and so they become queer. Um, and then a huge amount of, like, feminist, anti-racist, educational histories and conversations happening. Um, I don't know why, but I'm really glad that it was and in some sense continues to be. I know it's died down a little bit now. Mm. I still sometimes go on my Tumblr. Oh, it's um, so good. It's just like a little in hindsight thing though, isn't it? Where it's like, oh, breath of fresh air back on the Tumblr. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's like a little like nice safe haven now of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it always was. It was always like a weirdly, I mean, there was obviously bad things that happened in every community. There are bad things that will always happen. But for the most part, it was always just such a safe space for anyone in any weird little niche fandom, weird niche communities. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think that it's cool that you bring up, um, like, learning about, like, feminist history and literature and stuff like that because that's where I learned pretty mm. much everything that I know. Yeah. I think there's, like, a real ethos. Like, I, I maybe think the beauty of it was that people really respected that weirdness and encouraged it and, like, mm. held it and also, like, contributed knowledge back. Like, if you think of, like, the Tumblr posts that kind of like stack up with all the reblogs mm-hmm. and all the replies and people like freely offering their sense of like oh this is what I think or this is what I've learned or like correcting people in like quite a generous way I don't know maybe I'm a little bit like rose tinted glasses like you said sometimes yeah. <laughs> there's sometimes there's a lot of uh, online drama that can happen as well and Tumblr has its fair share of um, interesting stories but I think that um ability and space for people to like build on top of other people's knowledges and to share it so openly um and within a culture that was like generally quite like social justice act like oriented activism oriented um yeah that was very focused on a sense of like how do we make the world a better nicer place yeah because compare that to uh, like any other online social space though like when you're when you've got like an idea or you've got content or something and everyone's kind of building around that it can go in a lot of different directions like mm. if we're going to compare this to like a reddit post or something i can yeah. guarantee you that that would go a completely different way to what a Tumblr post would go to. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, very different cultures. Like, this is the thing about sort of platforms for people who write about specific platforms is they tend to have, like, 
or can sometimes have their specific like cultures and behaviors and like sets of people and users and that creates like a particular environment online that you're engaging with and I think the Tumblr one in particular yeah very social justice oriented Reddit bit of a different thing going on there um generally in terms of user base (laughs) yeah yeah It's yeah. like, yeah, just setting the social norms, but it's in different platforms and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm quite interested in my own work. I'm, like, kind of interested in the seepage across these platforms as well. Like, well, I was going to say, where do you think that – because Tumblr, unfortunately now, like, it still exists, but, like, it's kind of dead. Mm. I think it's safe to say that Tumblr's dead in the same way that when MySpace died back in the day. Where have these people kind of – gravitated towards what social platforms are they using now are they still online like these places still exist surely yeah yeah um like it sort of depends i mean tiktok is like a big new one obviously and there's a lot of i think similar content in the way that people are quite keen to create spaces for like knowledge production and education in tiktok and have like the kind of conversational style discussions which videos lend themselves to pretty well but then instagram is a big one as well i'm hearing that a lot of people find out um knowledge about queer history and queer culture through things like instagram infographics and Mm -hmm. you know they can sometimes like get criticized as well but the way people talk about it as in you're just scrolling through your feed and maybe you're like looking at friends photos or something and then something pops up and it's like on this day (laughs) um Mm -hmm. a bunch of lesbians did this in history and that little moment that like jerks you out of the present and into this little piece of history people describe it in quite interesting ways in terms of um a small little bit of connection that they get sometimes yeah um so instagram it's funny that you mentioned that because i literally experienced that recently oh yeah because um <laughs> yeah there was an abc infographic that was posted on their instagram and it was all about um the first mardi gras um in sydney and it's like mardi gras i know that mardi gras exists it's a it's a fun time it's a party right and they were talking about the first one and how brutal it actually was and yeah. they were talking to the 78ers the first people to go to sydney mardi gras and them just discussing their stories and talking about how they got doxxed and how what is now in my entire lifetime has been such a happy event mm. <laughs> started out as not such a happy event but it was kind of an accident how it started in the first place and Yeah. Yeah. It is funny how you can see just a little infographic like that and that's like, oh, cool. There's some history to catch up on that I missed because the only place that I can seem to get this information is online. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. 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 It's interesting what you're saying about the 78ers. Like I I was at World Pride at at Mardi Gras and they were right Mm. at the front and it was just... That was really cool to see, like mm. that bit of history, like, you know, that's still alive. It's still. Look, I was going to say as well, because it kind of feels like forever ago, but like, nope, they're still here. Like, it yeah. wasn't that long ago. Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> living and breathing. And and that's one thing that comes up quite a lot as well. And there's the, a really big generational gap and loss within the queer community. I'm speaking specifically to young people, and all of them are saying to me, like, I don't have queer elders. I don't know what 
queer elders' lives looked like. But through the internet, I can find out. Exactly. And that's when you find out that, no, they did exist. It's just that they had to be quiet about it because that's kind of what you had to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so there's this whole new kind of like door open to finding out about uh, like the people who came before us and who, um, yeah, paved the way for us or who had these lives that like led to rights and uh, um, culture today that we have. Um, and that's pretty cool. But at the same time, there's it's there's a definite sense of like loss and sadness there in mm. terms of oh, wouldn't it be beautiful if we we were all kind of better connected across those generations? Mm. But I think the nice thing is that it's kind of looking, the, the forecast in the future is it's always looking brighter. Mm. The more that time goes on, the less dark and dreary it is in the past. Or yeah. maybe the more dark and dreary, but I don't know. We're going <laughs> onwards and upwards is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Like how magnificent that we can open our phones and and have this like explosion of queerness at our fingertips. Mm. Um, that's not something that was easily accessible in the past in any means. Like a lot of what you know you see online is talking about how people had to hide themselves or, or the codes that they use to signal to each other. Mm. Um, and I mean, nowadays we're out here with our carabiners and stuff anyway. <laughs> We're still flagging, but it's, uh, yeah. We just really like being in on, like, a, a secret. Yeah. It's like yeah, an yeah. in-joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that culture can be, like, open and great and enjoyed and, and savoured in a way that feels much safer. Mm. Well, see, that kind of brings me to one of the final things that I want to touch on with you, which is, like, when I know that when I was in school, I went to a school that was, like, very sex education-focused. Well, not very, but compared to a lot of my peers that I've spoken to since school, um, my school was very sex positive and things like that. And I guess that they were queer positive, but we never really spoke about queer history. We never really spoke about queer sex. We did not talk about that community in general, really. Do you know much in the way of people who the, I know you've spoken to within your studies or anything about what the schooling process has been like for most people and is it changing and yeah. <laughs> um, for most people, very similar situation to you in terms of like it's kind of in the background. I have spoken to a couple of young people who like do have queer teachers who are out, which is massive. I mean, I know if I had had that at a young age, I would have been like, whoa. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, the consensus is that um, there's not heaps that's taught like with the curriculum even if school environments and it has been beautiful to hear that certain school environments um, for some young people today are very welcoming are very open are very queer um, that's massive but there's still been this sense of the curriculum in history is like there's no queerness there's also usually not heaps of engagement with things like colonialism um, or difficult histories around race around disability even really around like feminism and women's rights um it still seems like there's a kind of lack that that people are really craving um and that the internet is the place they're going to learn about all of these things but within school the curriculums are kind of like tight and history isn't maybe the most exciting thing mm. um almost yeah <laughs> developed thing in terms of what how it actually affects how we think about our day-to-day. -day. 
I feel like that's why it makes me so much extra grateful that we do have the internet as such a valuable resource to be able to catch up on all of this history that we have missed and also... um, Not brain's gone there. There was another point that I had to make, but (laughs) it's fine. Um, Yeah. I think the internet is a valuable resource quite personally. Do you agree? I totally agree. I love the internet. I I mean, that's the reason I'm studying, right? (laughs) Thank you.